Truthfully, what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days. You were better off. Because nowadays, they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better. And less and less. And eventually, someone's going to be superb. Our education system has mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to China Education, episode 37. My name is Andy Christian, and I am a researcher at Teach Now in Washington, D.C. Not just a researcher, though, Andy, a data researcher and a very good one at that. Well, thank you for saying so, Chris. Yeah, we uh, like to delve into the numbers so that we have a really good sense of what we're talking about. You have a little bit of a unique background because you've spent a lot of time in China. Indeed, you've grown up there for a good part of your life. So we're going to be talking uh, about that and your experience there and specifically uh, to do with teaching. And we're also going to loop that back into the great work that you're doing at Teach Now uh, at this moment. So as a data researcher or as I've seen on your website, the Teach Now website, Andy, an institutional and marketing researcher, very um, <laughs> interesting. I've never heard that one before. What, what's the actual things that you do? Well, we're still really a pretty small company. We're, we're a startup. And as is typical in many startup situations, you sort of wear a lot of hats. You do a lot of different jobs that are necessary as they mm. come up. So essentially, my role as a researcher, uh, however you want to term it, is just to look into the information uh, both reactively and proactively that we need to uh, gather more information on to uh, further enhance our capacity to deliver this great program to our candidates. Right. And uh, f- funny, uh, I didn't realize Teach Now was still a, in that startup phase. I mean, you guys really took off um, having interviewed your CEO, Emily Feistritzer, uh, around 2014, you've had super growth, of course, gazelle-like, um, gargantuan yeah. growth. Uh, yeah. But I guess yeah. I can see, yeah, why you still are in the startup stage. Uh, so real interesting times. And uh, you've recently, if I'm right, have just done a big survey, haven't you, to your thousands of um, teachers that have gone through your system, yeah. me included, of course. And so right, you must have right. had some real numbers and data to crunch there, Andy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was a really fascinating project to work on for me. It was my first time to do uh, a proper sort of deep data dive. Uh, I've worked with a lot of reports that people have uh, published of their own research, but it was my first time to uh, conduct that kind of research of the data myself. Um, And we found a lot of things that we weren't necessarily uh, seeking to find that surprised us that I think speaks to uh, not just what's going on with the candidates in our program, but sort of 
where the education uh, world is and the global reality of that world. Mm, interesting stuff. And, um, you know, maybe in the future we can, uh, I like how you said data dive. You make it sound so sexy. Diving into data. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you got to spice it up somehow. <laughs> yeah, spice it up indeed. Uh, so maybe we can dive into that data at some point in the future. That 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 sounds uh, <laughs> it sounds quite fun. Now yeah. uh, let's talk China. Yes. Uh, because now you're in Washington D.C., of course, in the Teach Now office. But uh, as I alluded to earlier, you have spent a lot of time in China. So tell us what yeah. brought you to China uh andy in the first place and yeah go into that please yeah absolutely so china has uh been a very significant part of my life uh, and continues to be so when i was a kid when i was 10 my family moved there my dad was involved in a software company they did some of the early javascript applications for uh for the internet for websites uh, they developed some of that technology. And so my family lived in China in the city of Tianjin, which is just southeast mm -hmm. of Beijing. Uh, I lived there from the ages of 10 to 18. And really, in many ways, uh, in part Chinese, just from you know growing up and being surrounded by the culture. And it, at the very least, had a very significant influence on my perspectives and my development. So... Yeah, I grew up there as a kid, um, and that interest stayed with me. And uh, I went to college a few times, uh, but uh, the third time when I finally graduated, I studied uh, East Asian mm -hmm. studies with a focus on China. And that took me back to China for language study and other visits. And most recently, last year, I spent a year teaching English at a university in Zhengzhou. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Wow, that is an interesting story. Uh, and China therefore runs deep. So yeah. when, when about, I mean, when you're a 10 year old boy and you, you arrived in, in China with your mum and dad, do you, do you have um, siblings? I did. Yeah. I'm the youngest of four. Uh, okay. So uh, my older siblings, it was a more difficult transition for them because they right. were teenagers and such. Yeah. But for me at 10, it was just kind of an exciting adventure. You know, it was at that age where I was old enough to understand what was going on, uh, but young enough to be excited about uh, being in a new spot. So uh, when you when that happened, what year are we talking about then? Because yeah, China's changing so much, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna give you're gonna give your age away here, aren't you, Andy? But <laughs> right. Who cares about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, that, that's a really great point about how much how much it has changed. So I moved there uh, for the first time in 1996, oh, and okay. then when I graduated high school, that was 2004, and Within that eight-year time frame, China certainly changed significantly, but uh, by many metrics, it was really about 2004 where some of the most significant changes occurred. And to my kind of amateur eye, uh, I would say that the the cultural there's been a major cultural shift. Uh, sort of in the way people live and the expectations they have that really began in earnest sort of at that 2004-ish time frame. Um, so China changed a lot while I was there, and that was interesting to see 
uh, but it's changed, I think, far more dramatically even since then. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'm just thinking I rocked up on these shores around 2006. Yeah. So, and you were 1996. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you guys, you were in America, uh, family, three siblings. And, and right. what happened? When was it announced that you'd be going <laughs> to live in, in Tianjin? Right. Yeah. So it uh, kind of was always something my dad had wanted to do. Um, he had been a naval officer, and uh, while he was on board ship in the early part of his career, uh, he had done tours out there in Asia and just kind of had always had a desire to to go there and, and make a life there and just kind of see what things were about. Um, so we knew for a few years as he went and, you know, headed towards retirement that our plan was to head in that direction so we uh us kids probably were aware of the plan you know two or three years in advance um okay. and uh once he retired uh, we moved there yeah in 96 i'm thinking the internet came through didn't it in 1993 you said uh, right. your dad was was doing stuff in software i i, I mean yeah. do you know any more about that that just sounds really quite interesting as well what what could uh, yeah. a man from america be doing with software in 1996 uh, in right. yeah China? yeah you know those were certainly the early days in china for mm. uh uh many uh, expats i would say there weren't too many folks there even in the larger cities at that time um, so he, uh, with a number of friends kind of put together a company, um, mm -hmm. and they all had sort of, uh, programming or other kind of software backgrounds. And at that time, uh, there was a guy in the company, uh, I, you know, I was young, so I don't necessarily know all of the, the details sure. specifically, but the basic story would be there was an Australian guy actually in the company who was a really brilliant pro programmer mm -hmm. and basically was kind of a, a head of the game on the how JavaScript could be applied to uh, web programming uh -huh. and uh, they actually, I mean, you never would have heard of their company. They sold their stuff to like Oracle and people like that. But um, they developed some of the first um, web-based applications for Java. So like nowadays, how we go to a website and we click the menu and it just drops down without reloading the page. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the kind of stuff that they developed back in the, the late 90s, uh, which at that time was pretty revolutionary yeah, for how... Yeah websites operated yeah oh interesting stuff so um when you were there obviously you needed to go to school so were you put yeah. into what i can imagine like a, um, a an international school would i be right in saying that yeah. or were you put into yeah okay yeah that's correct so i uh being that i was 10 and my siblings were older uh going into a local school w would have been a bit difficult for us yeah we sure. actually did consider that um but our parents sort of asked us and we all kind of felt we'd rather go to an international school. So yes, I went to Tianjin International School, which is still operating now. Mm, great. Um, and uh, as with international schools, particularly at that time, I realized it's changed some now, but at that time it was uh, essentially all foreign expat kids. Um, 
So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I diverse group of them as well. There was quite a few different nationalities there. So, um, aside from living abroad, kind of getting that international flavor had a, a huge impact on me for sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, moving into those kind of middle school years, teenage mm-hmm. years in China, I, I mean, if I could ask you, what was one thing that was like, wow, this is so different from back home? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I'm sure they, we could spend hours talking about that. But what was the real big hitter uh, for you, Andy? Uh, you know, um, I, I suppose that there wasn't anything. I think it's very different going there as an adult. Even as an adult going there last year, I had those kind of moments. But as a kid, um, I'm not sure there was something that struck me in a as so different in the sense that it it was a difficult difference. Um, so, but I think the thing that uh, was most interesting to me, which perhaps has Mm -hmm. changed somewhat now was sort of the market culture, Um, Mm -hmm. the outdoor markets, which aren't really around so much anymore, but sort of just being able to go out into the market. And that was kind of where like the social gathering and the activity was and just sort of parouse uh, what was going on and all the wares. And I loved, you know, getting into a bargain. I I think the thing that (laughs) probably was, um, especially in 96 and especially as a 10 year old kid, that was maybe the most to adjust to, although from my perspective, it wasn't a negative thing was all the attention. Um, I received a lot of attention, especially when I tried to pull out my bargaining skills. Uh, and I think I got a a number of good deals just (laughs) because it was entertaining to people, but, um, Uh, so that, that was an adjustment I would say was the, the sudden kind of focus or almost sort of celebrity without being famous. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and I mean, Tianjin, 96, you know, it's not one of the big, it's not one of the big right. places. It's not your Beijing or your, um, you know, your Canton or Guangzhou, Shanghai. So yeah, right. indeed I, I, I can, I can see that. Uh, now, look, we could, as I said earlier, spend hours on this because uh, it's it's really a, a amazing and a very unique story of yours. But we must stay focused on education. Yes, and absolutely. you said earlier that when you went back to the States, I guess when you were 18, but then you've come back out here on a, uh, on a few uh, separate occasions uh, yes. to study the man- Chinese Mandarin and right. um, to do various things. And, and you said you, you taught uh, a university that's, that's your correct. yeah the the main teaching experience and that was last year was it andy it was just last year um i you know having this background uh in china and yeah. um if if i were to be honest you know having so much uh, experience abroad the u.s has often felt like a foreign country to me as well and is not necessarily where i feel most suited to live uh, so I wanted to explore the possibility of returning to China long term. So that's what right. brought me back to China last year. And uh, teaching is one of the easier ways uh, to get a visa. So that's the route I took. And that took me to Zhengzhou in Henan province. Okay, yes, in, in Henan province uh, under Shangxi and Shangdong. Well, it's right in the middle of 
Shangxi and Hubei as well, isn't it? Anhui, yeah, kind yeah. of in the central. Okay, so um, that's interesting you said. And of course, now you're back in D.C., uh yeah. doing doing data diving as you said now <laughs> i know you've mentioned that there were things that you wish you knew but you didn't right. when you were teaching during that year sounds yes. a great kind of uh name of a movie but let's let's go through <laughs> that if you can because i think that'd be yeah. interesting things i wish i knew when i went to teach in china uh but i didn't um uh, so yeah take that away because uh that, that that's uh that's a that's a good one yeah, absolutely. So I'll preface it by saying that I didn't go into teaching in China without any sort of teaching background at all. Mm, uh, it, it's never been my official position, so to speak, and I've never and I never had been a teacher in a classroom. But in various other occupations I've had, instruction has been an important aspect of that. Mm. And I did do a TEFL certification, obviously, as that's uh, some sort of thing like that is generally required for a teaching position, particularly mm -hmm. at a university. Um, yes. But the reality was, is despite uh, having a back, some experience, some background in instructing and kind of having, I would, I would say, uh, a sort of natural knack for that kind of thing, teaching in a classroom, particularly a, a classroom of 40 to 60 students, which is the size that I had, is a very different situation. And despite having a, a gone through a TEFL certification that I felt I actually did a decent job of not just giving me uh, some, some uh, like education pointers, but you know, they went through like uh, lesson planning and that kind of stuff. So I felt like it, it had a, a decent uh, preparation, but despite that, when I walked into a classroom of 40 to 60 students and was expected to uh, significantly improve their oral English rather than just, say, memorizing some grammar, mm. that proved to be a challenge that I immediately realized I was lacking some capabilities, some skills with. And, and there's a number of areas in which I noticed that. Mm -hmm. um, so probably one of the biggest things for me was some mixture of classroom logistics and or management. So uh, it's not to say that I necessarily didn't know how to um, like keep order in the classroom or that kind of stuff. My previous em employment, uh, I, I knew how to do that kind of thing with groups. So it wasn't so much, you know, like kids acting up and not knowing how, how to get them back on task. It was more of classroom management in the sense of I've got all these students and you know, spoken English is, again, not something you're just trying to memorize some points on. It's something that if you really want to develop a capacity for, you've got to engage, you've got to produce, you've got to practice, you've got to sort of bring it in in a meaningful way to people's mm -hmm. lives. So how to manage that size of a classroom uh, and engage with them in uh, instruction and activities that was actually going to benefit their improvement of and, and confidence in speaking English. So knowing how to manage that size and apply appropriate sort of activities and manage those activities and manage successful learning outcomes was something um, that was a struggle for me. And I, I, you know, came up with some ideas and, and 
did a whole bunch of Google research and that kind of stuff, but it was something that I consistently felt, you know, anxiety over and realized that if I'd had a more uh, formal and or effective uh, preparation on that, uh, I could have been a much better teacher for those students. Uh, yeah. So that kind of classroom logistics management piece was one thing. Uh, another thing that was part and partial to the structure of of the class, but also was something that I could have used more knowledge and skills with was how to go about um, developing effective assessment tools for them. Mm. So again, it was a speaking class. So doing tests or something like that, or grammar tests or something like that, uh, that didn't correlate to the goals of the class, right? So mm. they already had other grammar classes. And, and in fact, their grammar and vocabulary and things like that weren't too bad. Uh, these were freshmen, many of them. So it could improve, but it wasn't too bad. Um, but my class being a spoken English class, uh, it's not going to do any good to have that style of assessment because that's not the goal. So uh, again, part of it, had to do with the class being 40 to 60 students, which just makes everything difficult. But uh, I, I struggled to come up uh, effectively, especially on homework stuff, with assessments that would actually assess their level, assess their what they were learning, uh, and be able to be done in a way that I could actually, you know, go through 40 to 60 answers and give them feedback. So, uh, again, the numbers made it particularly difficult, but I yeah. realized that I did not necessarily have uh, the degree of preparation for uh, developing assessments that uh, would have been good to have. Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. Andy, I totally hearing you on a lot of this, actually, and I think probably a lot of the listeners, it will bring memories to their minds, whether they're in China or another international spot that they land on with yeah. a TEFL, with a TEFL certificate. And um, as right. you said, these are all of the hurdles that a lot of us can pertain our yes, experience. Absolutely. To. So, uh, OK, wonderful. I'm sure there's more, is there? Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, aside from just classroom specific things, I think one of the themes that I perhaps uh, a little hubris was involved, but um, mm. I had mentioned I had gone to China wanting to see if it was somewhere I wanted to live long term. Yeah. And part of that is I, I had already lived the expat life as a kid. And as a kid, I really enjoyed living the expat life. But my goal uh, in going back was was to see how well I could integrate and live just sort of as another person locally. I didn't necessarily want to live the expat life, um, which is part of the reason I went to a uh, city like Zhengzhou. Um, so 
a little bit of hubris there was involved for me in that I thought, oh, I have this Chinese China background. I speak Mandarin pretty well. I understand the culture fairly well. Um, but as it turned out, uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. Or there was a lot for me to learn about living there, especially about living more of a local style life. And All with right. respect to the classroom, uh, the culture of education is different. And I was aware of that, but it's a whole different thing to actually have to uh, interact and engage with that difference rather than just be aware of it. So yeah. um, when it came to all those issues of managing the classroom assessment, sort of the goals and outcomes of the class, uh, I realized that I didn't necessarily know as well as would be helpful how to engage with uh, the education culture of a Chinese university. So with respect mm -hmm. to what would have been helpful for me to know, uh, maybe being a, a little less prideful and kind of tapping into that mm -hmm. uh, foreign teacher community there and, and having more of a network for oh, yeah. um, uh, more experienced teachers who had already been there, as well as just daily things like, getting a bank account or renting an apartment. I, I ended up figuring all those things out on my own uh, and practicing my Mandarin quite a bit in the process. But um, it would have been yes. much easier and helpful to uh, have tapped more into a network and connected to people with more experience. Yeah, some fantastic points you raised there. And uh, as I said, again, I think many of us have gone through each one of them painstakingly. Yes, right. yeah. um, it's real textbook right, right. stuff. Uh, what, yeah. what I wanted to know, but didn't know when I came to China, I think that's brilliant, that sentence. Uh, now, Andy, of course, you came last year and you were looking, as you said, right. to maybe come back to China again and, and, and integrate into the culture and stay here long term. Based on those things that you've just said, your current kind of conclusion was that, no, I, I better head back to America. <laughs> How does that work? Where, what's the current situation on that? Because you, know, you did a year yeah. and you didn't want to stay on again. Um, was it that sure. bad? Or uh, how did you, for example, get into doing data research? How does that connect with the Teach Now program, which, of course, offers a great program for, um, for, for licensing teachers, a certification right. program, I guess, to do exactly these things, of course? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I think it, it was as far as my reason for returning and then how that all connects uh, to what I'm doing now. So I think mm. um, I, I realized that if I was going to live in China, that I uh, that I had to kind of acknowledge the realities of what that were, which is despite my background, it's just not really quite a thing, I would say, where you can just kind of come and just be another person. You still have to, in some ways, mm -hmm. be the foreigner. Uh, and sure. perhaps that that's changing and that might change in the future. Um, but in my experience, at least, that was still kind of a thing. So, um, and, and I don't necessarily say that negatively, that's just sort of yeah. the situation. So in, in my mind, if I was going to be there, uh, the way in which I was trying to be there wasn't uh, going to be the most successful approach. So um, so trying to continue to do that didn't make sense, which is why I came back. I, I'm still interested. It's okay. still a very important place for me, and I could potentially see myself going back in the future. 
but at this point, if I were to do so, it would be in a more kind of established uh, role or position um, would would be what I was looking for. Or in the case, if I was to go as a teacher, uh, being much better prepared than I was, uh, I think I could have stayed in the role I was doing, but I realized that I wasn't able to do it to a level that I was yeah. satisfied with with uh, my kind of performance. So that kind of links us into teach now a bit. So I came back here, was looking yeah. for work, and just sort of by happenstance really came across uh, a job posting to work here at teach now. And initially that job posting was to be a candidate support, candidate liaison position, given my uh, sort of teaching background a little bit, as well as China background. And a lot of our candidates are, in fact, teaching in China. So um, I was hired for that and then very quickly transitioned into this sort of research role as that need popped up again, sort of with the startup situation. And I kind of got tasked to do a thing or two. And, and uh, Dr. Emily Feistreitzer, our CEO, she liked the work I did. Mm -hmm. So that kind of became the the sort of new position for me. Uh, so I've been doing that the last few months. But sort of why uh, I, you know, as we sort of chatted about having a podcast here, one of the things that, that we chatted about uh, with what I wish I had known, one of the things that attracted me to work at Teach Now was the program had all of those points I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, delivered those things very effectively. And as I was researching the company to prepare for an interview and think about whether I wanted to be working here and that kind of thing, uh, I immediately noticed the quality of the program and that they were delivering mm -hmm. things that I had realized I needed as a teacher. Um, and not just delivering them, but delivering them with quality. And so that was a big reason why I decided to join Teach Now was I really saw the quality of what they're offering. And I also saw people who uh, were committed to making a difference in, in the world of teachers. So um, I, I know perhaps another time we might talk more about uh, sort of some of the research we've been doing as well as maybe the future yeah. of education and that kind of stuff. But um, I think one of the things that pops up in that general discussion is that while there's a lot of ideas and policies and research out there, not too many people stop to ask teachers what they think. <laughs> yeah, and right. um, when Teach Now was created, that's that was the foundational sort of piece upon which it was created was what teachers say works for them. And so as I looked into the program, saw how it was developed, saw that mindset of, of the creators and the people working here, and saw that it really did deliver a quality program addressing those things, uh, which I myself had experienced, uh, that made me excited to work here. And I, and I have to say in the two or three months now that I've been here, I've definitely uh, seen that ring true in uh, the, the work that's done here. So um, yeah, that's kind of what what brought me back from China, but is kind of reconnecting me uh, with China as many of our candidates there as I'm working here at Teach Now. Absolutely, Andy. Fantastic story. I love it. Uh, and uh, to close the pod, I've got to ask you, 
um, from your China roots and experiences. <laughs> what, 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 what's the one thing that you're missing now you're back in yeah. Washington, D.C. from being in China? And you can't say Taobao, okay? You can't say <laughs> Taobao. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's definitely a really nice one for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think um, I, I would say two things. And one of them is personal to me and one of them is is just sort of uh has to do with china so you know the food uh it's it's right. hard to argue with sort of uh the you can't quite get the same quality of <laughs> of chinese food when you're outside of china even when it's really good it's just not quite the same and uh so i definitely miss the food uh it, on a, on a personal note and this may be true for many other people as well but um I do really love living in an international environment and Mm. I I love sort of the diversity mixing with people from all different kinds of backgrounds that I wouldn't normally have mixed with uh, otherwise or wouldn't have so easily mixed with otherwise. And I think that really enriches one's experience and you, you can do that in your home country. And I do seek to do that, but it comes a little more naturally uh, when you're living abroad, I think so that that sort of a, uh, experience of diversity and, and its enrichment is something that I do miss about my China days. Yeah, I couldn't agree any more. And all those listeners out there now, whether they're teachers or whether they're working in China in another industry or in, in another country listening to this podcast, I'm sure that absolutely resonates with them too. And it's been lovely to have you on. And I hope we can do some more stuff in the future. Cause uh, as I said, I really like the sound of data diving. This is China Jedi people. If you're an English speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree, but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly, to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30 plus students, then reach now to teach now and secure a professional US District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, teach now, get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount of your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program by the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.